Hey everyone, Dr. Pat and I would personally like to invite you to join us in our Grow My Baby program. This is week-by-week pregnancy and birth information developed from our experience of helping more than 4,000 women grow and birth their babies. All our links are on our website, growmybaby.com.au. If you're trying to get pregnant or you are pregnant and you feel a little bit overwhelmed by all you need to know, then this is the right podcast for you. Welcome to the show. I'm Bridget Maloney. And I'm obstetrician Dr. Patrick Maloney. And this is The Kick your expert-led podcast that delivers the essentials of growing a baby. Make sure you head to our website, growmybaby.com.au, to get some awesome free tools like our Pregnancy Knowledge Checker to help you feel like you got this. Well, welcome, everyone. Today, you've got me, Bridget, uh, going solo. And today, we're talking about food safety. And the other day, we asked on our Instagram page about what you wanted to know about food safety. And Pat and I realized how much confusion is out there about what is safe and what isn't safe to eat in pregnancy. So we know it can be a very confusing time and often restrictive time. So we thought in the lead up to Christmas where there's lots of buffets to be shared and leftovers to eat, that we would talk to the expert on how to handle food and choose food that helps prevent foodborne illnesses and keep you and your baby safe. So we are delighted to have Gary Kennedy on our show. He is a food safety expert. He's worked with more than a thousand companies and government departments to ensure their food handling is safe and complies with health standards. He belongs to various peak bodies, lending his expertise and has been a regular guest on ABC Radio. So listening to this podcast, we hope that you will know how to store food safely what are safer food options to choose from when you're out, because we know that's a really tricky time, what food is best to avoid and why, and what are some of the safer options at Christmas for you. So let's get on with the show and hear from Gary. Well, welcome everyone. We're very excited today to have Gary Kennedy here to talk to us about all the things that we query ourselves when it comes to safe eating in pregnancy. So Gary, welcome. Oh, really good, really good. <laughs> um, and I really want to kick off with something that uh, we we asked this question on our Instagram stories, and honestly, we got so many replies about what people are confused about as to what they can eat during pregnancy. So I'm so thrilled to have you here. And one of them was a perfect question because it's all what we think about is, is it really bad if I eat everything? What really is the risk? The, the answer is yes, you, there is a risk. You shouldn't eat everything. There's a bug that's called uh, Listeria monocytogenes in long name, which is just commonly called Listeria, even though there are about 24 Listerias microbiologically, but there's one that's called Listeria and it causes food poisoning. Um, the issue, particularly in pregnancy, is this bug um, not only can cause a lady to miscarry and lose her baby, it can also potentially cause a baby that carries full term to be born with the symptoms of bacterial meningitis with potential issues to the brain. So a permanent life. So it's a really nasty bug. And the worry we've got is it's an environmental bug. It's found in dust and dirt. It's everywhere. So it's a real issue in ready-to-eat foods that has been sitting around for a while. So, you know, the smorgasbord, the buffet, the backyard spit roast, 
the sandwich platter, the uh, chakturi board, all of those are the places where we have an issue with this. Because if we think this bug is found in dust and dirt, it's cleanliness is going to keep it. So things that particularly things sit around at room temperature for long periods of time, you know, where you go in and think, hmm, how long's that salad bar been sitting out at the pub? Those sort of things. You know, the dip that's been sitting out at the backyard barbecue for several hours. Those sorts of things are the, the sorts of issues. Yeah, you shouldn't be eating everything. I suppose today we'll discuss some of the things we shouldn't be eating. But look, when I went to university back in the 80s, listeria did not cause food poisoning, we were told. It wasn't known. But there was a famous case in the late 80s in California and the western states of the USA where someone made a Mexican-style authentic cheese dip and pasteurized it. Now, pasteurizing, which is normal cooking temperatures or just slightly above, kill the listeria bug. But they decided to make it more authentic by putting some raw milk back in to make it taste right and recontaminated it. And that rang real alarm bells in the food industry because this bug not only did some people die, some ladies miscarried and lost their babies. And so this is a bug that unfortunately can cause a pregnant lady to lose her baby. And we saw a case of that here. There was an outbreak, or going back 20 years now, where Virgin Airlines had a chicken wrap that was served on flights. And among the people who got sick was a lady who unfortunately lost her baby, uh, miscarried a result of that food poisoning incident. So the bug is certainly found in Australia. And that's why there are so many warnings around in pregnancy not to eat certain foods. Good. And we're going to talk all about that because, you know, people talk about, well, what is the relative risk? It's low. There are a few cases of listeriosis, but when it happens, like that would be a risk that I wouldn't be willing to take. No, yeah, it's what they call the immunocompromised of the group, which is about 35% of the population. So it's under fives, it's above 70, it's people who have a medical condition So that could be something like chemotherapy, kidney dialysis, HIV, AIDS, diabetes, which is a rapidly growing segment, and pregnant women. And that's partly because, as some of the listeners will know, you get a bit run down when you're pregnant and your immune system's a bit shot, but your baby has effectively, it's relying on your immune system. So if you get run down during pregnancy, your baby has very little immune system. And anything that happens to you also happens to your unborn baby. And are there any other sort of bacteria that we should be worried about with food? Like there are any other diseases from food, poor food handling? There's lots of them. But the, the I suppose the two that you hear most often, salmonella is the other one you hear quite often. And if you think listeria in my job, you think listeria, well, there's dust and dirt somewhere. When you think salmonella, you tend to think chicken and eggs. That tends to be a a bird bug. And it lives quite happily in the intestinal tracts of birds and doesn't cause birds any issues at all. But for us, that can cause severe food poisoning. And particularly for older people, uh, that can be life-threatening. Uh, And for very young children, that can be life-threatening. And so we've seen deaths from that. And there's something which I'll call the MasterChef effect, and no insult to MasterChef. But one thing MasterChef has done is it's 
bought back raw eggs in food, things like aioli, mayonnaise, soft-boiled egg, tiramisu, chocolate mousse using raw eggs, those things appear on that. And if you're unwell or you've got very young children, raw egg dishes you shouldn't be eating because of the risk of salmonella. Or you can buy pasteurized eggs in the supermarket. There are actually eggs that are being cooked, but they're still liquid that you can use. You'll find them there usually frozen. Uh, and that's what's used in the food service industry. When they make scrambled egg, they're not cracking shells out the back. They're buying 20 litres of pre-pasteurized pulp, egg pulp. And so even if there's scrambled egg in the cafe or the restaurant slightly undercooked, you're not going to get salmonella. Oh, wow. Well, egg is actually one of our topics that I want to get to. So we might actually just cover it really quickly here since we're talking about it. So what happens if you do cook your own egg at home from a supermarket egg? And it's a little bit runny. Right. Let's go down the ones where it's still sort of intact. So if we're talking poached, fried, hard-boiled, where it's still intact, you want the white to be fully set. And if the yolk is still runny, that's okay. So the New South Wales Food Authority has officially written that up. And it's to do, if you know the anatomy of a chook, it's not quite right but where the egg comes out is near its bottom, or its its cloaca, which is where kick up the clacker comes from, oh, by the way. Oh, fantastic. I love that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so it comes out of somewhere called the cloaca, which is the, the, sorry, ladies, the anus of the chicken. If we think that salmonella is in bird poo, well, the egg's coming out almost the same place. And so the outside of eggs may have it on. And that's why in Australia it's illegal to sell eggs that haven't been washed. And it's also illegal to sell eggs that are cracked and chipped. But even so, occasionally, sometimes salmonella will get inside the shell of the egg, but it's in the white. So if you cook the white, you'll kill the salmonella and the yolk can still be runny. That's fantastic news because, I mean, that's the best part of the egg if it's a little bit runny, the yolk, in my opinion. However, if it's all mixed apart, so we're doing a quiche, a frittata, an omelette, scrambled eggs, we're going to cook it the whole way through. So we should be cooking it basically till it's steaming hot, till it's all the way through and there's no liquid left in it. So if you like a runny scrambled egg, which has still got some of the liquid oozing out, um, you do run the risk of salmonella poisoning. Okay. And, you know, you you raised uh, aioli and mayonnaise and those sort of things that we don't probably think about but are made with runny eggs. Yeah. Most of those, if you look at the recipe, will have something in them that actually makes them acidic, usually vinegar, but sometimes they'll add lemon juice or something like that. And in fact, it's that lemon juice or vinegar that's making the aioli safe. So if you say, I really don't like a tangy aioli, I won't use so much lemon juice, it's quite likely that you're actually pulling out the thing that makes the aioli safe. And so, for example, the world's biggest, sorry, Australia's biggest outbreak in the ACT was uh, 350 people with aioli, and it was all to do with raw eggs. And we saw the death of someone a few years ago in a Melbourne Cup function up in Brisbane, at, uh, and they died from the mayo. We've even seen a salmonella in fried ice cream, where they used egg in the batter that holds the crumbs in place. And because it was frozen, that was enough to protect some of the salmonella, and the person who ate the fried ice cream got it. 
So when we think eggs, the good thing we did back in the 90s where we told people cook the chicken till it's cooked all the way through, no pink chicken. And that really got rid of salmonella. And then in this millennium, we've suddenly gone back to using raw eggs again, and it's brought it all back again. So some years, salmonella, there are 20,000 plus cases of salmonella poisoning a year in Australia. So it's it's easily one of the most common food poisoning bugs. Yeah, and, and we know from um, a, a pregnancy point of view, that can actually send you into premature labour as well. Yes, it can. It, and although it's rare, salmonella typhimurium is typhoid fever. If ever you travel overseas and get immunised against typhoid, that's actually a dangerous strain of typhoid. So there are some particularly nasty salmonellas uh, around. Um, Well, typhoid's fairly dangerous. So there's some particularly nasty ones. There are certainly ones that most of them, unfortunately, will get you to work at both ends rather quickly for a couple of days, if you get what I mean. But there there are some that will put you in hospital and if you're an older person, there are some strains who actually kill you. Yeah, wow. And just a, a, another quick listener request was, well, what about pavlova and the gooey middle? Sometimes the meringue's not quite set. There's two advantages to pavlova. One of them is it's whack full of sugar. Sugar is also a pretty good preservative. It doesn't let things grow. But if the pavlova basically has risen, risen up and formed a shell and set as a pavlova, you've got it hot enough, you've killed the salmonella. If your pavlova collapses because it's wet in the centre, don't eat it. You haven't cooked it enough and some of the bugs in the raw egg may survive. Yep. And Gary, we have listeners from all over the world listening to the Kick Pregnancy podcast. (laughs) May not know pavlova, but we're just talking about a meringue. Yeah, a meringue that perhaps hasn't set in the middle. Yeah, we're talking a a pretty soft meringue too. We're talking if you've got something like a, a Swiss meringue and you just bake the outside. Um, and cooked it a bit like you uh, cook a creme brulee. Oh, in fact, creme brulee is another one that uses raw egg as well, by the way. So again, creme brulee is another dish. You must cook the custard right through to the centre to make sure it's set. So a creme brulee that's runny in the middle is going to have some problems. Yeah, I think people are sort of uh, feeling sad about their festive season <laughs> listening to us, Gary, but this makes sense. So we've talked about salmonella and listeriosis. Are there any other uh, diseases that we should be wary of? Look, if we're talking red meat, it's a bug called Escherichia coli, commonly called E. coli. We're lucky in Australia that we have relatively safe E. coli's, which will cause you to be going to the bathroom for a couple of days. But there are occasionally rare strains. And in America, they have one of the dangerous strains quite common. And there are some E. coli strains that will kill you. So what we've got to do with salmonella and E. coli is where something is minced, like a sausage, a risole, a hamburger patty, you've got to cook it right through to the middle. You don't want your hamburger patties to be bleeding in the middle. There's a famous case in America back in the 90s where a number of young children died in a hamburger chain in California and Oregon from undercooked hamburgers that were still bleeding in the middle. And that's why in Australia, it's illegal to serve an undercooked hamburger patty. We're lucky in this country. We like our meat to be well done on barbecues. Historically, it's because it's hot here. And we know in summer, food goes off outside and we cook it quickly. Accidentally, we've got a few things right down here. There's never really been a big food poisoning case with sushi in Australia, even though it's raw fish. And it's because in Australia, we put it in the fridge. Now, the Japanese 
would go mental. Well, that, that's a nice Australian expression for overseas listeners. The Japanese would go mental if they said, what are you doing refrigerating sushi? It should be at room temperature. But in Australia, we've always said, oh, raw fish. Fish goes in the fridge. And so we've rarely had a case of it here. We're just lucky because it's hot and food goes off in summer here quite quickly. We do stick things in fridges and fridges are quite good at stopping some of these bugs from growing. You're listening to The Kick with Dr. Pat and Bridget. How many times have you Googled something about your pregnancy? When I was pregnant all the time, Dr. Pat. (laughs) We get it. You may be confused or overwhelmed. It's normal to want information, but where's the reliable stuff from experts? Yeah. Now, if you like our podcast, Dr. Pat and I have developed an online program to help guide you through whatever stage of pregnancy you're at. It's taken us literally two years to put it together. Two long, hard years, wasn't it? (laughs) But, you know, it is a game changer in how pregnancy information is given. Now, how it works is uh, you get to sign up at whatever stage of pregnancy you're at. Like, So you could be pre-pregnant in your very early stages of pregnancy, late pregnancy, preparing for birth, or maybe you've just brought your baby home. And you get lots of information around that. And then you also get to join our closed Facebook group. We've called in all our contacts too. So we've got a dietitian, an anaesthetist, physiotherapist. Sonographer. Yeah, who else? A pediatric nurse, obstetrician, mother of four. Oh, just all the people you need to hear from. So if that's you... Come and join us at www.growmybaby.com.au. I wanted to move on to um, the principles of good food handling because I know when I've come home from a massive big supermarket shop, uh, I've got four kids, so, you know, our supermarket shops are <laughs> very big and it takes a long time to get things put away correctly within the fridge. And I'm, I'm pretty pedantic about where I put things in the fridge. But I just wondered if you could go through that, Gary. You know, where do you put your meat? Where do you put your veggies? To some extent, what you really don't want is raw mixing up with ready to eat. And you'll notice I've deliberately not said raw versus cooked. I've said raw versus ready to eat because salads are ready to eat, even though they're not raw. Ideally, leave them in the wrappers if you can. You know, if the meat's inside a vacuum packed bag, leave it inside the vacuum packed bag. It's going to keep, not only is the meat actually going to last longer, and not only from a quality perspective and a price perspective, your food will last longer. It also means the bugs are contained inside the bag. Where do you put the eggs is a big debating issue. I always put mine in the fridge, Gary. Is that where I should be putting them? Look, I'll be honest with you, if you cook it, it really doesn't matter. Because if, because if the egg goes in the fry pan and you cook it properly, you know, it could walk into the fry pan and the cooking process of it cooked properly would kill everything. So the three options are leave it at room temperature, put it in the fridge in the door, or put it in the fridge not in the door. And from a perspective in terms of quality, not from safety, if you pour an egg, a fresh egg out, you'll see there's actually, it forms into three layers. You've got a yolk, and then the white is in two bits. There's a bit that sits higher and then a bit that spreads out. And that bit that's thicker in the white is the, the protein structure that's best for forming a meringue. And so the older the egg is, the, the protein starts breaking down in the egg. And so it's hard. An older egg won't form a peak as well. Good for a scrambled egg or boiled egg, but no, not going to be good if you want to 
get the protein to work and form something like a meringue or something like that. So keeping them at room temperature accelerates that breakdown. But in the door where you constantly open and close the door, shaking the egg about, that also breaks down the protein. In a perfect case, yes, the egg's actually inside the fridge for quality would actually work better if they're on a shelf in the fridge. Good. And not and it's not a safety concern. It's just I always thought it was a safety concern. That's why I always put it in the fridge, but it's more about quality. Yeah, not if you cook it properly. Because of the three bugs we've mentioned so far, listeria is actually the hardest one to kill. And if you get to the temperatures that kill listeria, a salmonella's long dead. E. coli's long dead. They're actually easy to kill. Okay. And I always put my meat in the either meat tray or at the bottom of the fridge. That's a, a potentially just, you know, hearkening back to my mum saying, don't let the meat juices drip on anything. So, Yeah, correct. You don't want the chicken juices dripping on anything and you don't want the meat juices dripping on anything because the blood contains some of the bugs we've spoken about. The most common place to get food poisoning is actually not from undercooking. It's from cross-contamination. So it is raw mixing up with ready to eat is the most common way to get food poisoning. And Gary, some recipes call for you to sort of wash chicken. Yeah, don't wash it. All you're doing is, particularly if you put it on something like a a tap on a high blast, um, all you're going to do is wash the blood and the salmonella all around your kitchen. You are far better just to take the chicken out of the bag and put it straight in the tray, blood included. If you're worried about that, it's going to be less of an issue. Washing chicken's actually a problem because washing it, it then, apart from the fact you're handling the chicken, suddenly your hands are covered in it, your sink is covered in it, and when that tap comes on next, it's going to spray whatever's in the sink and aerosol it and land on other things nearby. So if you've got glasses and cutlery and crockery sitting next to the sink, when you hit the tap on a raw chicken, some of that blood with some of the salmonella is going to end up on your crockery and glassware. And you don't want that. No. And I'm sorry to all the vegetarians. We're going to get onto veggies soon, but I just want to ask about pork because um, it seems like pork's changed. I remember growing up, pork always had to be cooked thoroughly, but you know, again, Master Chef uh, Itis, uh, you know, they do like to see a bit of pink in pork. Is that a problem? No, if it's whole muscle. Again, we've got the same problem with chicken and beef and all the other red meats we do with pork. If you've got something where it's through to the centre, so, you know, pork sausages, pork rissoles, you know, the roulades, the rolls we have, they should all be cooked right through to the centre, regardless of species. Australia and New Zealand are almost the only two countries on earth that don't have the parasitic worms you find in raw pork. So the reason, particularly if your ancestors have come from Europe or Asia or South America, they're told to cook pork right through and make it well done. It's because there's parasitic intestinal worms that live in pigs in almost everywhere. Uh, Australia and New Zealand because we sit down here. Paul Keating once said we sit on the arse end of the earth. That, that, that has meant because we're down here, we don't have many of the diseases of animals that you find in elsewhere, which means pork is a lot safer here. We still have to worry about E. coli because it's still found. And so the outside of pork has the same problems that beef does. 
you can cook rare pork and be quite safe here, which you couldn't do in almost every other country on earth. Yeah, good. So I do want to move on to fresh food. So you've you've come home and you've got uh, perhaps you've bought a couple of bags of salad leaves, um, or you might have brought pre-cut salad itself. Are they safe for a pregnant woman? If you're getting, yeah, you know, and let's talk brand names here. If we're at Woolies, Coles, and Aldi, which is the most likely spot you're going to buy those pre-packed salads, uh, yeah, they're pretty safe. Um, those are washed in. Uh, the leaves are all put separate. Um, they put into um, a chlorine bath at 200 parts per million chlorine. Now, your average swimming pool is 10 to 15 parts per million. Um, you wear glasses when you walk through one of those factories, otherwise your eyes water. It's incredibly strong, leaves no residual, or they wash in something called peracetic acid, um, which is the sort of thing they also wash the outside of apples and oranges with. Those things kill all the, not only wash the outside and wash the dirt off with the listeria in, because they're not just floating. These are going through a flume ride. These are being turned around and shaken about and everything to wash all the dirt off. Remembering that occasionally there was an, an outbreak in the Northern Territory in Rockmelon in Australia, and they believe it was just birds pooing on the outside as they flew over. Yeah, flew over. In the case in Griffith, where we had an outbreak with rock melon, with listeria, they believe it was a dust storm where there was more dirt than usual and the wash water didn't wash it all off. And as a pregnant woman, I know what, what the next question will be. Are any of the things that they're using to wash these fruits and salads, are any of those chemicals harmful to the woman? No. The chlorine, apart from the fact that they normally rinse afterwards, the chlorine breaks down. And I suppose not that I would use this as the benchmark, but it's the same process as used in the burgers at McDonald's and Hungry Jack's as well. This is a fairly standard process across industry. Um, so there are some people who say, oh, I wouldn't buy a chlorine wash salad at Woolworths, but I go to McDonald's and have a Big Mac. It's the, it's the same lettuce. Um, when we're talking peracetic acid, it is a chemically modified form of vinegar, but it does occur naturally as well. Um, and both of them don't leave a residual. They break down. So by the time it gets to you, there's nothing left on it. And have we washed off any good bacteria? Is there such a thing? Yeah, there are good bacteria as well. You, these, these are You're basically getting in something that is partly sterile. Um, you've washed nearly everything off. But to some extent, the good bacteria that you're getting on vegetables, there aren't any. The sort of bacteria, good bacteria you're getting off fruit and veg should be the good bacteria you've already got in your stomach anyway. So you, you, wouldn't, you would not be relying on repopulating the bacteria in your gut by eating fruit and veg. Um, you should already have those in place anyway. And what about, you know, somebody that might be um, buying their fruit and veg from a farmer's market or something like that? Do they have to have any other special precautions? Yeah, if you're buying at a farmer's market or you're growing your own at home, there are three issues, the three bugs we've been talking about mainly. If you're using dynamic lifter as a fertiliser, you're obviously throwing salmonella on. That's bird poo. Um, if you're going to use... Um, cow manure or horse manure or pig manure, then you're going to put E. coli on. So, And if it's growing in the dirt, it's got listeria. 
So with fruit and veg, you've got to be careful that you wash it to get this stuff off. Now, can I say just putting it under tap, running tap water and rubbing it with a tea towel or a chucks is going to get rid of 99.9% of bacteria. It's, you know, we're not talking intensive cleaning here. I, you can make your own sanitizing solution at home by using bleach in water, getting a bucket. Um, you can do that. Um, as silly as it sounds, pouring boiling water over fruit and veg works quite well. And what about vinegar? Vinegar is also acidic. It also works quite well. Um, so dipping in vinegar, dipping in boiling water, using a bleach solution, the sanitizing solutions you use for baby bottle washing um, also work quite effectively as well as sanit. I mean, they are sanitizing solutions. They all work. But for most people, um, I know this is mainly for pregnant women, but for most people, just putting it under a running tap and scrubbing your fruit and veg with a chucks or a tea towel will get rid of 99.9%. And note I'm quoting the same thing as those sanitizing sprays. Yeah, that we're all happy to use, yeah. Yeah, we're all happy to use, you know, everyone we go off to the supermarket, particularly during COVID where we bought all those sprays and gels, you can have almost the same effect with really good hand washing under a tap as well. If you're using a normal dishwashing detergent, not that I recommend drinking them, but it is safe. You put it on a dish. Sometimes if you're, if you want to, you can also put a, a little dab of dishwashing liquid on your hands or the chucks, and that'll help the dirt get off even quicker. Yeah, and this is why it takes so long for me to unpack my shopping, Gary. Where you've got to be careful is there are things where the dirt hides in the bottom. So things like celery, bunches of celery, uh, cabbage, uh, leeks, um, things like that where it goes down the bottom. If you're going to put those in salad, you're up for a pretty good scrub. And things that are hard to clean, parsley. Cleaning parsley is hard because it's all scrunched. Yeah, coriander, they're all scrunched up in balls. They're hard to clean. I want to talk to you about our free masterclass. Now, we're launching this very soon, so we want you to jump on the wait list. And in that masterclass, we're going to be talking about the three common mistakes that we see people make in their pregnancies all the time. And we're going to talk also about the four-step method that we have in our paid program uh, that was designed to help you feel more confident in your pregnancy. So the masterclass is about 60 minutes long. It is jam-packed with great information that will help you to feel more confident in your pregnancy. So go to our website, www.growmybaby.com.au and jump on that wait list and we'll see you in the masterclass. Now I want to move on to leftovers Eating leftovers, how do we store those? How long can we leave leftovers before they're really past their use-by date? And things such as if I've heated it once, didn't finish it, can I then eat it again, heat it up and eat it again the next day? All right. And we should talk about chilled versus frozen because you do them a bit different. So let's go with uh, start with chilled because it's probably the easier one. So you bought something at the supermarket or... So let's pick something like um, small goods, cheese, um, those sort of things, um, salads. Basically, you've got two hours to do something with them. Which, So when it comes out, so at the Christmas party or food preparation, you've got two hours. And within two hours, it needs to be back in the fridge to be safe. 
If you're leaving it more than two hours, if there are any bugs in there, they will start growing. And so after four hours, it's generally considered unsafe to eat and you should be throwing it away. So that that means if you're doing a barbecue and you take out, you know, the cheese platter with some some hummus and some prosciutto, basically it's got two hours before you should be putting it back in the fridge for one more time. And then the and if it's out for four hours, you shouldn't be eating it. You should be binning it. So the same would apply to, you know, the backyard spit roast, the Christmas barbecue, um, the picnic. Um, the sandwiches on board the boat, all of those sort of things really have got two hours and needs to go back in the fridge. And say I've cooked up a, I don't know, a beautiful curry or something like that. With hot food, we've got to consider that we don't want to put piping hot food directly in the fridge. So you wouldn't be getting your huge pot of curry and sticking it straight in the fridge because all it's going to do is warm the fridge up. So you should be letting the food sit out for 20 to 30 minutes until it's not steaming hot. So, And when you put it in the fridge, let, I'm going to assume here we're talking everyone's got domestic fridges as well. So in your fridge at home, if you're going to cool something down, it should be thicker than no thicker than 2.5 centimetres, one inch, or it won't cool down properly. Costridium perfringens and Bacillus cereus, not that everyone needs to know that, there are a couple of bugs that will survive normal cooking. So roasting, steaming, baking, microwaving, frying, stir-fry, standard cooking methods. What I said is not 100% true. You kill the parent, but you don't kill the baby. They've got spores in them, seeds, and they will survive normal cooking processes. Um, And the worry is if pre-cooked food is sitting around warm for more than two hours, We those spores can start to germinate. So if we're putting food into a fridge, it's got to be less than an inch or 2.5 centimetres or it won't cool down quickly enough. So for something like a pizza, that's not going to be a problem. Okay, But if it's something like a barbecue chicken, particularly if it's got stuffing in it, we need to portion that. We need to break it apart. If it's your curry, you need to decant it. You need to be putting it into Chinese food containers or into a tray or something like that because there are some bugs that will grow if you cool food too quickly. And the obvious thing is you forgot about the curry and came back next morning and thought, oh, I've left the curry on overnight. Don't eat it. Oh, no. Um, No, it's going to be unsafe. I'm a big one for making stock, Gary. (laughs) So it can bubble away on my very minimum heat for 12 hours. It can bubble forever. Okay. Phew. We cook up to 75, which is in the guidelines. Listeria is the hardest bug to kill. So if we do that, we will kill Listeria, Salmonella, E. coli. We will kill Hepatitis. We will kill Toxoplasmas. We'll kill the worms in pork overseas. We'll also kill the parents of those two that form the spores. So if we get to 75 degrees, then that will kill everything. Then if you keep it above 75, which a rolling simmer or a slow bubble does, bubbling because the heat's on, not bubbling because it's been there for five days. <laughs> it's, not, it's not turning into yogurt. Yeah. But if you can, you can keep it hot and keep it on a slow simmer 
similar to putting something in the oven overnight and keeping it hot overnight. If you can keep it low above 70, uh, once you get it above 75 degrees, it can cool to 60. And as long as it's not that, not that most people know that you know, you've got a temperature probe that measures to 60. And so when you go into uh, a place, things like Bain-Marie, those silver trays with the glass or the pie warmer, the soup terrine, the chafing dish you see in functions, which is that silver tray with the little metho burners underneath. Those are all designed that the food's been cooked above 75 and then they're maintaining the food above 60. And theoretically, um, I can keep food in the pie warmer for 10 years as long as it was cooked to 75 and then stored above 60. And not cross-contaminated with anything. Correct. So in the catering industry, when you go into a place like a petrol station food house, you know, or you go into a catering establishment or you, you hire a backyard spit roaster, they'll often keep the hot food above steam or above a metho burner or they'll have it electrically plugged in and they're trying to keep it, they've cooked it to 75 and then they'll keep it above 60. And if we keep it above 60, the spores don't germinate and it's the spores we've got to worry about. All right. I'm going to ask you, uh, Gary, as a pregnant woman, when you walk into a food hall in a supermarket shopping centre or something, am I better to choose something that's in a bain-marie and it's been hot and cooked or do I go the healthy salad option? What would you choose? Neither. Oh, I go Neither. hungry. <laughs> yeah. The rule is I cook it myself. If you're pregnant and you really want to be safe, go to the big fast food chains. Um, they know what they're doing. As awful as it's a Hungry Jack's, McDonald's, you know, KFC, Red Rooster, Porto, they've got really strict rules in place in terms of food safety. And if you're, you know, Pizza Hut, you know, crust, your big chains, dominoes, they know what they're doing. You're, you're really unlikely to get food poisoning. They make sure that food is cremated when they cook it. Yeah, and sterile by the sounds of things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So look, if you're really as awful as it sounds, and I know nutritionally some of those options I just said are not great, but at least if it's a well-known brand name, they're going to get it right if it's cooked in front of you. Nutritionally, if you're doing that as a one-off because, you know, you don't have another option, I suppose you can um, turn a blind eye to the fact that it's not as nutritionally dense as you'd hope in pregnancy because that's the fine balance, isn't it? Yeah. Look, if you're, if you're out with friends and you're in a food court and your options are KFC and McDonald's, it's nutritionally not great, but if it's only once, you're, you're probably okay particularly if you balance your diet in the rest of the day. I want to talk about some of those countries that say we're talking about France with soft cheeses and maybe Japan with their sushi. Do those countries have greater incidences of listeriosis? Not Japan. Sushi is a pretty safe food if you do it properly. The rice usually has vinegar, rice wine vinegar or mirin or something put in that makes it safe. And sushi... In Japan, it's typically cook-serve or, you know, it's eaten within two hours. Those sushi train type arrangements, that's why they make it and within two hours it's eaten. It's following that two-hour rule. So Japan has a relatively low risk. In European countries, yes, in some countries, listeria is quite higher. You can build up a resistance to it. And again, I'm not the expert on pregnant women building up a resistance but yes, there is a higher incidence overseas than there tends to be here. 
of listeriosis. And with cheeses, is it the pasteurisation that kills listeria? Yes, it is. Pasteurisation will kill listeria. And yet in Australia, we all our cheeses are pasteurised, aren't they? Almost all of them. There are some unpasteurised cheeses on the market, and it tends to be the expensive ones. Um, Swiss Roquefort, the imported cheese, is unpasteurised. But if it is unpasteurised, it has to have done something else to kill the stereo. And usually it either means it's been acidified, usually fermented, so the, uh, the acid in it is strong enough to kill it, and there are one or two varieties out there who have other things in them. There is a natural anti, anti, antibiotic you're allowed to add to some cheeses. Um, some of them will have other ingredients in some of the preservatives that will stop listeria growing. But it, some of the, the more artisan cheeses you see on the market uh, will have something else in them. There is also a raw milk on sale in supermarkets that is unpasteurized um, and it's had a treatment done to it called high pressure pasteurization where basically it's been put into a chamber and put under extremely high pressure equivalent to more than the pressure at the bottom of the deepest trench in the ocean and uh, and the pressure kills listeria in that raw milk product um, it's a product called Made by Cow. You can certainly find it in Sydney and Woolworths supermarkets. So are you saying then, Gary, and I'm, I'm sorry to keep pushing you on this because that, it was definitely questions that we got through our listeners, that if Australia pasteurises all, requires pretty much all cheeses to be pasteurised, doesn't that make soft cheeses safe for pregnant women? Yes and no. Your problem is it's it's not 100% foolproof because it's dust and dirt we saw three people die from a listeria outbreak in Brie and Camembert coming out of a facility in Victoria. And it was after post-processing contamination. It was basically dirt getting onto the outside of the cheese. Because cheese typically has nothing in it that will kill listeria. You know, if we're talking something like uh, beer, it's so acidic, listeria will die. If we're talking jam, it's so sugary, listeria won't grow. Um, Vegemite, it won't grow because it's so salty, you know. But in cheese, there's nothing in it that will stop listeria growing. So if listeria gets on the outside, particularly for things like the shredding process or the dicing process, or the slicing process, if it's on there, nothing will kill it. And in fact, listeria is an unusual bug because it starts growing at zero. So it'll actually grow inside your fridge. So things with a very long shelf life, like shredded cheese, it'll grow inside the bag in your fridge. So what may have started off as a very, very low level, by the time you eat it, may in fact be a dangerous level for a pregnant woman. So you said before, even if you're out, probably the best thing to do is take your own food. So you've cooked it and you've taken it to lunch, for example. How do I keep that safe? Your food has got two hours to be safe. So you've either got to go to work quickly or go wherever you're going. So if you're going to some friends' places for brunch, you would take your food in a lunchbox and within, and when you get there, you put it back in their fridge until you are ready to eat it, or you do what you do with your school kids' lunches. You get a freezer brick and you put a freezer brick in there, or you put it in one of those refrigerated carry bags with out there. I've actually seen a 
I know for pregnant women, they did an extremely stylish handbag that was actually with a freezer brick inside. So it looked like you're carrying a handbag when, in fact, you're carrying a lunch with a freezer brick inside. Perfect. Perfect. Well, we live in very cold Ballarat, um, Gary, so... um I have to admit that I've sent my kids off to school now for a very long time without a freezer brick in their lunch boxes. <laughs> I'd have to review that. <laughs> my family's from Ballarat originally. I know how cold it gets in winter. So it's not an issue in winter and it's not an issue if the temperature's below five as it is. But as soon as we hit 5.1 degrees, we've gone into what they call the danger zone and some of the bugs we've spoken about will start growing quite rapidly when you go above five. That's why your fridge at home should be less than five. So when you get in that middle zone, so we've said we've already said 60 is the upper limit, five is the lower limit. If you're in between five and 60, some of these bugs will start growing rapidly. So we've got two problems. If we got blood from the chicken or dirt from listeria on it after it was cooked, then we've got the potential for growing. Or if we've got those two spores that survive cooking, if we're sitting in between five and 60 for more than two hours, those bugs will start growing quite rapidly and you could get quite sick from eating the food. So either take a freezer brick or when you get to your destination, you can pop it in a fridge. All right. So I'm going to move on to fish. Gary, so fish is tricky. We've talked a little bit about uh, sushi. Let's talk about the sushi that doesn't contain fish. You're saying that that's still off the agenda. Yeah, look, I'd I'd like to say the food industry is perfect. It's not. Sushi should be made with vinegar or a rice wine vinegar or something else that makes it acidified and should be safe to eat. You can't guarantee that it's going to be safe. It's better not to have sushi for nine months. And if someone went to a sort of a an authentic Japanese restaurant and watched them make the sushi? I just wouldn't risk it, I'll be honest with you. Go off sushi for a while. There's no part of the food industry that's perfect. I'd love to say it was, but it's not. It's easier just not to eat it for a few months and just go away from it. Okay. There is a thing that we're supposed to avoid particular types of fish. You know, we definitely need to eat fish. It's a fabulous source of omega-3. But um, are there particular types of fish that contain heavy metals that you would be worried about? Tends to be no here. Um, it's, uh, the, there are some fairly strict laws about, which is mainly coming out of the seafood industry, partly trying to protect itself and its good reputation. But there are certain countries we don't get fish from, there are certain species we don't eat, there are certain parts of Australia you don't harvest certain fish at certain times of the year. Um, The rules are really strict, not only on uh, heavy metals, so mercury, cadmium, lead being the most obvious, and there there are also testing regimes. So when canned fish in particular comes from Some countries overseas that may not have the best food safety records, Customs and Department of Agriculture actually take samples and test for heavy metal presence in canned fish. If we're talking imported fish, which is mainly prawns, salmon, things like that, then uh, there's also testing in place as well for some of those. Yeah, wow. Okay, well, that's good to know because when we choose fish at home, we sort of try to choose the wild-caught fish. It's, it's been a long time in Australia since there's been a case 
linked to, you know, cadmium, mercury, lead, any of the real heavy metals, and been linked to seafood. It's been cleaned up a lot since the 1960s, which I suppose back in the 60s, people didn't realize heavy metals actually cause problems. You can get them by, a, I mean, it seems fairly obvious now. But there were cases overseas, particularly in crustacea and mollusks, things that live in the mud, which is where the heavy metals are going to be. And then as it goes up the food chain, so, you know, this, and when you end up in something like a barracuda or Spanish mackerel, something that's at the top top of the food chain, it's going to concentrate that heavy metal. Um, We tend not to find that as much as we once did because the, uh, we don't eat certain species because we know that happens. We don't get them from certain waters in certain countries because we know where that's likely to be an issue. It's, it is it is potentially an issue if you travel. Yeah. So if you were choosing fish, what sort would you go for? You go for something lower down the food chain. How can you, pick, you tend to pick the vegetarian fish <laughs> over the carnivorous fish. I know that's difficult. Um, in Australia, you're pretty right. If you're travelling overseas, the species we eat here tend to be the species you should eat overseas as well. So if it's a weird fish you've never seen before, you, you're, you, it's likely, particularly if it's cheap, it's likely to be more of an issue than it would be buying a fish that you recognise that we have over here. And why do they say not to eat shellfish in pregnancy? For two reasons. Uh, one of them is um, it all. All the bugs we've spoken about so far live in mud. And so shellfish live down in the mud. So you're going to get E. coli, salmonella, listeria, cadmium, mercury, all of that lives down in the mud. And if you eat a lot of it, you're going to keep getting concentrated forms. Um, With oysters, it's slightly different. They do something called depurating here, which is when oysters are harvested, they're put into fresh water for a couple of days. And oysters actually don't like fresh water, so they tend to vomit their stomach contents up, and then the water content is put through ultraviolet light to kill everything. So because oysters are living in water that's full, you know, they're rivers, so they're full of poo and other things washing down, we depurate here, which is we get them basically to vomit their stomach contents up before we eat them. Because your other thing with a lot of shellfish um, is you eat it raw. Oysters are raw. Um, things like scallops are eaten semi-raw. Um, and even things like prawns, lobster, yabbies, marin, uh, crayfish, crab, all of those sort of things tend to be eaten right on the limit where you want them still to be just cooked. Your problem with just cooked is sometimes it's just not cooked. And so we, we've got the possibility you don't cook long enough to kill the bug off that was in the original. And you get higher levels of bugs to start with because they're living down in the mud where all the poo is washing down from the fields and forests. Yeah. So we're going to go on to Christmas buffet soon. So perhaps you're saying just avoid the shellfish. Uh, Look, if you're pregnant, I'd be avoiding shellfish. Or, uh, again, and I don't want to say, you know, I don't want to say I'm in the pocket of the supermarkets, but look, if you're going to buy this, if you go to one of the big Sydney fish fish markets, you go to the Melbourne markets or the Sydney markets, and you're or one of the big fish wholesalers, and you're buying prawns, lobster, that they're going to be safe. 
you know, go go to a co-op, they're going to be safe. These are all incredibly inspected by government inspectors. And similar, if we've got listeners who are in the UK or US or New Zealand listening to this, or Japan, boy, the seafood industry is inspected. Partly because we do use raw seafood in things like sushi and sashimi. So the inspection level in seafood is probably higher than almost any other industry. If you're buying, you know, you're going down to the rocks and you're buying it from some guy who caught it that morning, that's where you might run a problem. But if you're, bu- you're buying at a fish and chip shop, because legally fish and chip shops can't buy from non-licensed wholesalers, they have to buy out of the markets, you're pretty safe with seafood here. Your main issue is if cook it, make sure it's cooked all the way through, which unfortunately means some things like sushi are gone. It also means you're going to get a scallop that's a little more bullet-like than perhaps you liked. Um, You're going to get lobster that's a little tougher than perhaps you would have liked. Um, But most seafood here is incredibly highly regulated. That's one of the reasons over 80% of the seafood caught in Australia is exported. Another reason why it's incredibly regulated here, because all the rules overseas are hard. A lot of our seafood goes to Korea and Japan. Um, we know that lobster to China has been an issue here recently. Most of our seafoods is exported. And so, again, the rules are much harder because not only do we have to meet all the hard Australian laws, we have to meet, in some cases, the even harder overseas laws. So what I'm, I'm sort of really getting a handle on is the food that we buy, and again, it's Australia-specific, but the food that we buy here is regulated and very safe. It depends what you do after that. Yeah. Well, there's two aspects. One, if you buy it from someone who's reputable, and we'd throw in here, if we went to someone who's a big brand. So if I was with Qantas or Hilton or McDonald's or Aldi, you know, they're not going to have a major food poisoning case because it mucks their brand up. You can imagine, you know, suddenly a whole Qantas A380 gets food poisoning. That's going to be an international story. Or suddenly, you know, Woolworths fruit salad kills 50 is going to be a major story all around the world. So the, you know, Hilton, Sheraton, all of those big guys, they're not going, they've got ruthlessly enforcing the rules. So if you're, it's really only where you're buying from someone who's unlicensed. And even farmers' markets in most states are licensed. Um, It's mainly preparing it in the home, cross-contamination, you doing something bad when you get it home. The best, statistically, the best place to get food poisoning is to eat in your own home. It's the number one place to get food poisoning is actually eat in your own home. That's really sad. But then it's just sort of knowledge and it's knowledge how to handle food. So I hope people have um, gained a lot from this. COVID's helped. People know how to wash their hands for the first time. If you think COVID is you're trying to wash something dangerous off your hands, it's the same when you're washing your hands when you're preparing food. You should be singing happy birthday twice. You should be using detergent and sanitizing afterwards. So the same rules for COVID, for that matter, not we're talking much about it yet, when preparing food for your baby or preparing a baby's bottle, you should have the same hand-washing techniques you do for COVID. You're trying to stop the spread of a dangerous bug. And so don't work in the kitchen if you're sick. The thing about don't come to work if you're sick works in the kitchen as well. If you're sneezing and coughing and wiping your nose, you're just spreading all those bugs throughout the kitchen. Not only are you making the other people who are working in the kitchen sick, 
some of the bugs we've spoken about can be sneezed out your nose or when you wipe your finger across your nose because your nose is running or blowing into a tissue, you should be washing your hands afterwards because some of the bugs we've spoken about will then transfer from your hands to the knife that you're cutting the sandwiches for the kids' lunch. So, it, so again, COVID has taught people don't work in food if you're sick. That applies here. The other thing that came out of COVID is don't leave food sitting open. Food should be sitting, you know, glad wrap, alfoil, lids on containers, because with COVID, if you sneeze on the food, people were worried you could catch COVID from eating the food. But the same applies to the food poisoning bugs. Now, if there is a drip that accidentally drops off some raw chicken that you forgot was in the bag on the top shelf, and it does drop onto the pavlova, you're going to have a problem. But if that pavlova was a slice inside, you know, a decor or Tupperware container, then it's going to drop on the lid and not cause food poisoning. So some of the basic techniques that we learned about infect, what they call infection control, some of the things about stopping infections during COVID are basic food safety techniques as well. Yeah, no, you're so right. And, you know, last night I had one of my boys, he was due to cook dinner, but he's been sick. So he got out of that as well as making lunches for the kids at the next morning. So <laughs> we definitely apply that rule here. Um, you, know, well, you know, when I first worked in the food industry, you know, or at work, if you wanted a day off work, you say, I've got diarrhea. And everyone goes, well, you're not coming to work because you've got that. Uh, now, these days, it's, well, you're not coming back to work until you prove you don't have it anymore. And, and, and COVID has strengthened some of those things where we realise how easy it is to spread infectious diseases. Some of the food poisoning bugs we're talking about are spread just as easily as COVID is. Good. All right. Well, we might end on some fast and furious questions, Gary. How do you feel about that? So just yes, no, little bit of background information if you need. So because this is coming out just before Christmas, what about ham? Can we have ham? Pregnant women, no, should not be eating ham unless they've cooked it. So cook the ham. They need the cooked ham. Or, or not a great substitute, the canned ham. <laughs> okay, so a buffet's been sitting out, eat, don't eat. Buffet's been sitting out. If it were all came out of the fridge or out of the freezer and it all came out of the oven or the stovetop, two hours. Two hours. What if that buffet had just mainly charcuterie, so just deli meats and... You shouldn't be eating from that because those are foods you shouldn't be eating if you're pregnant. Okay. Of the seafood platter, is there anything I can eat? Only if you cooked it. Okay. <laughs> what about fermented foods? Is kombucha safe? Yes, because the it's acidic enough that nothing lives in it. Yogurt's the same. Sauerkraut's the same. The one I wouldn't potentially suggest that's fermented is salami because of the slicing step and the contamination afterwards. Because kombucha and yogurt are still acidic, nothing will live in it but salami may not still be acidic and it may be on the outside that's an issue. What about buying a fresh juice from a juice bar? Shouldn't be doing it if you're pregnant. If you are making it at home, uh, do you have to wash frozen berries? Boy, now you're, now you're asking an exceptionally hard question. This is a recent issue. The good news is that uh, frozen berries now get tested for hepatitis A, which is one of been the issue in Australia with them but not all of them. i be honest with you, I would say no, particularly strawberries. They sit on the ground um, and that can be the issue. Um, 
When we had the hepatitis A outbreaks with berries here, almost everyone who got hepatitis A got it out of a smoothie because you don't cook a smoothie, where people who cooked the berries in things like pies didn't, and the people who made fruit salad and then did something like pour pineapple juice on it, which is quite acidic, which is why pineapple... So if you must use berries, put some... Use pineapple juice or orange juice, something that's really acidic and make yourself a fruit salad or uh, uh, make yourself a smoothie that's got a real tang to it because you used a lot of citrus or pineapple, something that really drops it down. Could you potentially wash your own strawberries, then freeze them? Yeah, you could. That's another way. Or you could use one of the other methods. We spoke about bleach. We spoke about vinegar. Um, your other thing is you could dip the strawberries into boiling water or pour boiling water over them, and that would make them safe as well. But, I mean, it's a bit mushy if you do it that way. But, but if you're um, making a smoothie, I suppose it doesn't matter. If you're making a smoothie, it's not the same as dipping them into bleach or vinegar is not going to be in so much of an issue if you're going to make it into a smoothie. With bleach, you might want to just run them under the tap afterwards to wash the bleach off. But vinegar in a smoothie, if you've got something like orange or pineapple or kiwi, you're not going to taste the smack that there's a, a smack of vinegar still on the berries. Yeah. What about use-by dates? Is there any real room at all? Look, we should talk. There's actually three different date codes you'll find. So we should talk the difference between best before and use-by. And basically, use by is a food safety reason. And that's the manufacturer saying, do not eat it after this date. You could get food poisoning. So it's actually illegal to sell food after a use by. Even to donate it to charity is illegal in Australia because of the risk of food safety. So my general thought is no. If you find something in your fridge and it's past use by, bin it. Best before is different. Now, best before means food quality. And so you'll find milk as usually has best before rather than used by. And the reason for that is when it goes beyond that date, it forms curds and whey and no one's going to drink that in their tea. So, and a lot of dry goods have best before. Biscuits, soft drink, uh, flour, uh, sugar, will all have best before on them. And those, particularly the really dry foods you store in your cupboard, uh, they can go 20 years and you can eat them past the date. So there's a really difference between best before and use by. Um, best before usually means food quality and it's going to be inedible sometime past the date, but will still be safe. Whereas use by is food safety. Do not eat after that date. And can you smell meat? And can that help determine whether it's off or not? For food quality, yes. For food safety, no. Everything we've discussed today, E. coli, salmonella, listeria, bacillus cereus, hepatitis A, toxoplasmosis, mercury, lead, and cadmium, all of them you cannot taste or cannot smell or cannot see. So all of those could be present in food. I could talk to you for hours, Gary, because I have I love food and I love cooking and I've got so many questions, but I know that it's been quite a long um, session. Oh, we already <laughs> haven't discussed mould and uh, oh. at all. And, of course, if it's mouldy, there are some moulds that cause poison. So if it's mouldy, Throw it away. If it's not meant to be mouldy, remember brie and camembert are mouldy. Anyway, another podcast for another time, Bridget. Yes, but I do need to ask you about bread. So in the loaf of bread, if one piece has a bit of mould on it, can you use the other pieces of bread? Let me explain this to you. You know what a blue bottle is, the Portuguese man of war jellyfish? Now think of that at the beach. There's a bit up the top you can see, 
and underneath are the tentacles that have the poison and you can touch the bit on the top and it's okay and underneath are the bit who produce the poison that's how molds work they've got roots on them the bit you can see is the bit on top and the bit underneath is the mold that could produce a poison and some of those are bad enough they can actually kill you now that means on something that's wet like a jam you know where the roots can easily go through a liquid the poison or tomato paste the poison can be all the way through the jar where if it's something really hard like a parmesan lump you can probably just cut the bit off because the roots can't go through because it's so hard when it comes to bread we're in a middle area so generally the bit that's moldy go forward a few more other slices throw the next few slices out probably the other end of the loaf is still safe to eat good to know i know that we just said we missed mold but is there anything else that you think we should be covering I think next time we do this, we should be talking about postnatal and we should be doing what to do with babies' bottles and infant formula and breast milk and talk about all that other stuff as well. Let's do that. Well, thank you so much, Gary. You've been very generous with your time and I really do appreciate it and I'm sure our listeners appreciate it as well. Once you have a a listen to this, tell us what you think coming into our DMs on our Instagram. Uh, We'd love to know whether we solve some of your questions today or whether you have some more. That'd be great. See everyone.